Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, a speaker, author, and apologetics professor at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your co-host, Scott Ray, professor of Christian ethics, also at Talbot School of Theology. I want to welcome you to today's podcast. We're here today with Talbot professor and Los Angeles Dodgers chaplain, Brandon Cash. Uh, Brandon teaches preaching uh, and pastoral ministry here at Talbot. He's also a co-pastor of Oceanside Christian Fellowship in El Segundo, and for the past few years has been the chaplain for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, Brandon, welcome. Great to have you with us, and uh, we look forward to uh, our conversation. Good to be here. Tell me, how long have you served the Dodgers in this capacity as chaplain, and how did how did it work where you got this gig? I've, this is my seventh season as the chaplain for the Dodgers, so there's some biblical significance, I think, to the World Series victory this year. Uh, I got into this because our church is real close to where the Lakers and the Kings practice facility is in El Segundo. And a guy got traded to the Los Angeles Kings, who had recently come to Christ, and he was with the Colorado Avalanche. And when he got traded, uh, the Avalanche chaplain, who kind of works with hockey ministries, was looking for someone in LA that could disciple this guy. And we had a mutual friend, and so that's how I started, was actually working with the Kings. And after, I think, my second year doing that, the Dodgers, our baseball chapel, who oversees all the appointments of Major League Chaplains, was looking for somebody for the Dodgers. And through word of mouth, they got my name, and that was how things got started. Really? So, so you've been seven seasons. What uh... – it, what uh, what has surprised you the most about working with Major League Baseball players? I think initially the big aha moment was my first spring training where I got introduced to the team. And you realize on the Major League side of the spring training facility, there's four fields for, at the beginning of spring training, maybe 60 players. And then it whittles on down to about the 40-man roster. But you go to the backfields and you have over 150, 160, 170 guys on those back fields. And there are fewer fields, uh, not as nice as the Major League side. And it just kind of dawned on me how long the process is in Major League Baseball to get to the big leagues. And the other thing that hit me was there are 1,500 new players who come into baseball every year, which means 1,500 are leaving baseball every year. And you see those guys who are struggling on that cut line, and you see the stress they have and the uh, just the weight that that has on what's going to be next, if this is it, their identity as a baseball player yeah, sort of has been their whole life. The death, yeah. of a, death of a dream Yeah, when that happens. Maybe you've answered this in that reference to kind of the struggle to become a major league baseball player, but what are some of the spiritual issues you consistently seen, you consistently see baseball players wrestle with? I think identity is the big one. I don't think it's that different than what most of us do. I grew up, uh, golf was my sport. And there's a certain amount of pride, and he plays for so-and-so, or even the way my parents would introduce me as is our son. He got a golf scholarship. And, and so it's just all around us, and even more so for guys who have been big time since they were in elementary school. Like, they're the star all the way through. And so they're always introduced as the Los Angeles Dodger or the San Diego Padre or my son plays for. So even from family, that's their identity. And then they realize that's soon over. I remember one of my first spring trainings, they set up tables for autographs. And you had all these players who were current, and the lines were around the corner for them to get autographs. And then you had all these old Dodgers who 
were huge during their playing days. And there's three or four people in line to get their autograph. Mm. And so you just realize how quick that goes. And if that's your identity, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And so I just seen guys struggle with identity issues. Uh, obviously, the temptations of being on the road. Um, I remember the first road trip I took with them. The hotel where they stayed was walking distance from the ballpark. And there's a whole section of ladies who know where the player exit is. They know what hotel they're staying at. And uh, they've got the money. The players have the money to do a lot of things that many of us aren't tempted to do because we don't have the money. Uh, and so I think just the handling of finances, the temptations that are out there on the road, a life on the road, uh, those are probably two of the more consistent issues. So does that shape the way in particular that you plan, say, lessons or teachings in your your role as chaplain? Yeah, so the way it, it might help to give a little perspective on how it works. Every Sunday that the Dodgers are home, I do a chapel service for the Dodgers and for the visiting team. So Together, last, assumedly. No, differently. Yeah. Oh, okay. So each, play, each team has a player yeah. rep. Uh, so I'll use this guy's name because he won't mind. Uh, ben Zobrist is the player rep for the Chicago Cubs. And Ben's just a solid Christian guy. Uh, his dad's a pastor. His wife's dad's a pastor. Uh, went to a Christian college. Just a good guy. So I'll text Ben on usually Saturday and say, hey, Ben, um, when do you want to do chapel tomorrow? And the visiting team will usually go, let's say it's a one o'clock game. They'll usually go around 10 or 1030. And I go to chapel with them. And then I, the Dodgers always go an hour and 15 minutes before game time. And so then I'll go do the Dodger chapel. And after I finish with the Dodgers, then I go down to the umpire's room and we'll meet with the umpires. Some of the crews want to do a chapel service. Some of them just want me to pray for them. Uh, generally good guys, but varying degrees of spirituality. What we get at chapel are, I would say, like a Sunday morning church service. You have people who are seeking, people are curious, and then you have some good, solid, faithful believers. Uh, but then during the week with the Dodger players, I do a Bible study. And that's a, a longer, usually about an hour from 1 to 2 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game. And that's where we really do more of the discipleship is in that Bible study. That's where I develop the relationships with those guys. And um, yeah. So how many are on the Dodgers roster? Well, there's a 40-man roster, okay. and anybody on the 40-man roster is then eligible for the 25-man roster. So at any given time, there's only okay. 25 active. Usually there's about 30 guys in the clubhouse because you know four or five guys are uh, on the uh, disabled list. Um, and then the other 10 of that 40 would be in usually at AAA. So how many will come to the chapel services it's, and then with other teams? Too? Yeah, it's varied over the years. There's been some years where we had and I'm including coaches. So in addition to the 25 players, there's seven to nine coaches. And so we'll get some years we've had 20, 21 average in chapel. Wow. And then other years, uh, it's been a little leaner, maybe 10 or 12. Um, but the Dodgers have had a good group since I've been there, which is a blessing. I like to think of it like a poker hand. You got to play what you're dealt. Uh, and I've been dealt a pretty good hand with the Dodgers. Uh, visiting teams vary anywhere from two or three guys to some teams have really solid group of Christians. There might be 10 or 12 or 15 guys. Uh, Brandon, I, you know, some, some of the players, I'm sure, uh, who, are not, who are not believers, uh, I'm sure have varying degrees of reaction to chapels and Bible study and what goes on in the clubhouse. Uh, how... How open to the gospel would you describe some of the players who are not believers? Do you, do you get a, do you get an opportunity to to be around players who are you know, might be asking questions or you know might be open to the gospel? I do. Uh, what happens a lot of times, kind of funny, is nobody likes to shag during batting practice, but that's where a lot of the best conversations happen. And so you have guys that are Christians standing in the outfield. <laughs> 
talking with the non-Christians, and then the Christians will come into me and say, all right, these are the questions we got yesterday, and then we can talk about those. My goal is to build a relationship with everybody in from the clubhouse guys to the players to the coaches to the training staff, medical staff. And that's my goal is just to have a good relationship with these guys. And if I have a good relationship, then when they have questions or issues come, I think they feel comfortable talking to me about that. So we had, uh, I won't give a season, but there was a season while I've been there where a player never came to chapel one time, but I had a good relationship with this guy, just built it. And the day before we were leaving on a road trip, his wife served him divorce papers. Mm, wow. And so he, his world was kind of rocked. It was unexpected. He wasn't expecting that and just happened in God's providence that I was going on that road trip with him. And so he sought me out to talk. And I think that was because of the relationship that we had built beforehand. Um, so I get some good questions from some uh, non-believers, um, but it's, I've really had a good experience. The Dodgers have typically had just good guys because guys like Kershaw, who's a clubhouse leader and you know the best pitcher on the planet, because of our relationship, I think other guys feel safe you know, that I'm a good guy and that we can have conversations. So I work uh, as along with teaching at Talbot, I also work with high school students speaking and teaching. And I know the questions that high school students will frequently ask. What are the questions that you're hearing from these skeptical major league baseball players or even Christian baseball players? Are there certain common ones like theological or cultural or apologetic kinds of questions that come up? Yeah, I think you could probably guess what the question is, especially after a year like this, is why do bad things happen? Why does mm-hmm. evil exist, especially after the shooting in Las Vegas? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think those are typically that question is is the biggest question is why do these things happen? A uh, player whose family has a cancer incident, why does that happen? Um, yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest one that's just been constant over the seven years. Um, other questions politics, like the whole kneeling with the NFL players, uh, that was actually surprising to me. It, it became a source of division among some of the players just on opposite sides of that. And yeah. you could just see them get kind of fired up and emotional as they were talking about it. And so in situations like that, I'm just trying to calm the water, say, hey, there's good arguments on both sides here. Uh, and you shouldn't be arguing until you can understand and articulate the other person's argument. Once you understand their argument well enough, then maybe you guys can have a civil conversation. Um, so I think just what's going on in the world around us raises the questions that are typically asked. Give us an example of a conversation you've had. And obviously you don't have to give names or you, you could change it enough to protect the person, but just give us an insight into maybe a kind of conversation where you've worked through the player on an issue that helped him spiritually. Yeah, we have players for like we had one guy on the team who was just a very outspoken atheist, um, and and just unapologetic about it, and and was really kind of playing the martyr card, like I'm the only atheist here, and but he was pretty intellectually sharp guy, and so just trying to try and have a conversation with him. One of the things that's great is a lot of the guys during spring training play golf, and so some of the Christians on the team are very intentional about inviting me along to play golf to build relationships with the guys who aren't Christians. Is that because you're a good golf player or because you're the chaplain or both? (laughs) I think it's more because I'm a good golfer than because I'm the chaplain. (laughs) Uh, But riding in a cart with a guy who has no spiritual interest at all, the conversation gets interesting. And so I think those are the, the fun conversations is with guys who really don't have a spiritual interest is kind of awakening that in them, like, well, why this is important and... 
the guys that are Christians, it's more things going on in marriages, things going on with parenting. Mm -hmm. um, those, those are the, I'm, I'm just thinking as a pastor, being a, uh, in a church, you get people who I want to uh, help. They're looking to do the right thing, and they're coming to me to what is the right thing to do here versus conversations with people who really don't even have spirituality on the radar, don't have God on the radar, and trying to get the conversations moving in that direction. I think there's, there's probably another side to this that our listeners need to be aware of. Uh, Brandon was not only a good golfer, he was a great golfer. <laughs> uh, he played in college, uh, and I suspect you get an opportunity to build some credibility on the golf course by the way you smack some of these players around uh, with with the way you play. Because I, I suspect there's probably not anybody on the team who can play with you on the golf course. I don't know. There's some starting pitchers who have a lot of time on their hands, and they get pretty good at golf. Uh, but there's a funny story. Uh, A.J. Ellis, one of my closest friends in baseball, he's no longer with the Dodgers, but A.J. and I went golfing, I think it was my first year. And we were out on the golf course, and like on the second hole, I hit this drive that was well past his, over 300 yards out there, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, I have never thought of you as strong before just now. <laughs> uh, so I think it does give me a little credibility. The, the other fun part of that is when I came to Talbot, I, I really had regret about what I had done in my undergrad. Uh, I really was there just to play golf. I wanted to be a pro golfer. And so I really didn't pay attention in class, didn't really care about my major. And I came here thinking, God, what a waste my undergrad was. And then the doors that God has opened in uh, places like sports ministry I can see how his hand was even on my college years when I wasn't uh, Absolutely. Use, utilizing them as best I yeah. thought I could. So when players who haven't played golf with you before come and join the foursome, thinking this this is the chaplain, he obviously can't play, <laughs> uh, are, are they surprised? Yeah, I think it gives me some, some credibility with them. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, this is a podcast, so listeners can't see my physique, but... <laughs> It doesn't do much to uh, <laughs> instill confidence in my athletic ability. <laughs> I should say, we all have bodies for podcasts. <laughs> uh, are, are, Brandon, are there limits on some of the things you can do with the players? Are there just some things that are you, know, you just got to really be careful about? Yeah, there are, as I think through Major League Baseball and even Minor League Baseball, Typically, we're very well received. Baseball Chapel has a really good reputation, and so the door is open to us to come in. With the Dodgers, it's been a real open door. I'm just so grateful for the organization and the leadership in the organization. My first uh, five years, I had Don Mattingly was the manager, and Don was great. Don's a believer. And so he really opened up the locker room and the door for me. The bench coach was a guy named Trey Hillman, who is another strong believer. And so they really valued what I did and wanted me to have influence there. And so it was really like I was almost one of the coaches in the sense of my access. And then when Dave Roberts came in, Dave's a believer as well, and he's encouraged me to have the same sort of access. Now, not all of the chaplains have that sort of access, uh, but the Dodgers have been wonderful about giving me opportunity to uh, minister there. Brandon, what's the hardest part about your job as chaplain? The hardest part is, for me, it was figuring out the difference between being a pastor and a chaplain. As a pastor, I feel like I have a, I'm a soul watcher, as Hebrews says, and I watch after the souls of the people in my church, and I feel much more 
responsible for confronting, for uh, discipling, for moving people along and uh, being more invasive in their lives. As a chaplain, there are some guys who allow me to do that, but for the majority, it's more like I see myself as a as a fragrance for Christ in the locker room around the clubhouse. And that was hard for me to wrestle through that uh, the first couple of years is figuring out that difference between being a pastor and being a chaplain. And so I, I think I have a pastoral instinct and I want to speak more into their lives and I uh, just can't do that until you are given that opportunity by somebody. What about the managers and and coaches? What's the difference in the dynamic or relationship with, say, players and and those in leadership and authority? Yeah, my first couple of years, I was the same age as the veterans on the team. Now I'm the same age as the coaches. Uh, so I just <laughs> realized how fast everything uh, moves. I, literally, Doc and I are the same age. Uh, so I, I think that's been one of the, like the players introduce me to their parents now, and they're like my age. Because, wow. I mean, the Dodgers have guys that are 21, 22, 23 years old. So that's been fun to see that difference and just see the different life stages, meeting uh, Clayton and Ellen, they had just gotten married the winter before my first year, and then seeing them grow as a married couple, and then seeing them now have two children, and just kind of seeing guys go through the, the different life stages, that's been a, a fun part of it. I'm guessing sometimes you just kind of pinch yourself and remind yourself of the opportunity and a blessing to do this. It is. I remember in Philadelphia on the road with the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw was doing a bullpen session and he and I were talking and talking with Rick Honeycutt, the pitching coach, and we were walking from the dugout out to the bullpens, which are behind center field in Philly and standing there having a conversation with uh, Honeycutt and we're just kind of talking and Clayton's getting ready to warm up. And then he starts to get into his very routine oriented in what he throws in his bullpen. And as he was throwing that, I was literally probably three or four feet away from him and it just kind of had that moment like, I'm watching the best person in the world at what he does, do what he does up close. And so mm-hmm. as, a, as a fan of the game and as a fan of just excellence, I love being around guys who are really good at what they do, and I get to be around the best. And so that, that's a lot of fun. That, that's that is probably a privilege. how you feel right now on this podcast. Going, wow. <laughs> it's it's similar. It's, it's the right there. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we you get just to had, you closer. just had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> I had to fully tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, um, you've you've named a, a handful of names of players who are public about their faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, what challenges do the players face with their public persona in being public about their faith? Because they've got a platform that's just radically different than the average person. Oh yeah, when especially when you travel on the East Coast. Or even when you're in Los Angeles, these guys are recognized because of who they are. But you go to the East Coast and the hotels, the autograph seekers, the collectors, they know what hotels they stay at. And they're just standing outside the hotel trying to get an autograph, trying to get something signed. And the guys are, by and large, awesome at signing autographs, especially for kids. Like They take time at the stadium before games to do that. It's part of their routine. And even sometimes on the outside the stadium, they do it. They try and do that minimally. But I remember going out with a group of players and um, most of them were Bible study guys. And we go out to dinner and they said, we're not signing tonight. We go into the restaurant, we come out of the restaurant, they're still there, they're still trying to get them signed. And we said, no, we're not signing. And we keep walking back to the hotel and we get about 10 yards ahead of them. And one of the guys hollers out, I thought you were a Christian. Oh, Oh, and I just, you hear that. And I I, like, I wanted to go turn around and fight the guy. Um, (laughs) 
but it's that kind of stuff that the, the normal person yeah. doesn't have to deal with yeah. that. And so I think it's just that fine. In fact, after chapel this last Sunday, one of the players pulled me aside and we had been talking about being a new creation in Christ, Second Corinthians 5. And he said, I want to see people differently. I've, quick on what I was talking about in chapel is mm -hmm. I think one of the big things that Paul is talking about being a new creation in Christ is we see the world differently. We see the world, we see others as Christ sees the world. And how we treat others is part of that. And he said, I'm really struggling with when to say yes and when to say no. Because when I say no, I feel guilty. Like, am I treating them as Christ would treat them? And I just encourage them, they have to have boundaries. They have to be able to say no and, and feel okay about saying no. How, how do you pray for the players? Do you pray that they win? Do you pray maybe if there's arrogance <laughs> that they lose? Well, talk to us about that, maybe theologically and just practically, your thoughts on that. Because yeah. I'm sure they go, they come to you all the time and say, man, I really got to do well. I got to yeah. get hit. Will you pray for me? What do you say? Yeah, I, I don't typically pray specifically for that stuff. Uh, in my prayer closet, I pray for the Dodgers to win, but, uh, but not publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, for for these guys, I say, I, your yeah. prayer life is going well. Um, yeah, <laughs> I really try and you know Paul's prayers, which I think can be summed up in just sort of a spiritual maturity, a growing in Christ, a growing awareness of the love of God and what that means for them and to them. Um, that they wouldn't find their identity in what they do; that they'd mm -hmm. find their identity in Christ. Uh, but but a lot of times it's it's prayers. They ask me to pray for specific things like family members, like their marriage, like their parenting. Um, so, and not, not too different, especially with the guys that I'm close to, it's not too different than people that go to the church where I pastor. Um, guys on the fringes, it's usually just when emergencies come up that they want me to pray for them. So do you think there'll be baseball in heaven? I'm certain there will be golf. Baseball is still on the fence. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> hey, uh, you mentioned in a few minutes ago about some of the temptations that players face. You know, on the road because the you know the groups of women know where they stay and know where they exit the stadium, things like that. What other pressures do they do the married and family guys face? Well, yeah, actually, you just, just made by, me think of something that I hadn't said earlier. But another constant over the years is money, and it's not so much how they handle their money. Ba baseball is pretty good and has gotten better at having financial counselors. There's the wisdom now of having your agent be different than who your financial advisor is. So I think they're getting better in uh, coaching these players outside of the stadium, especially with regard to finances. Where the issue is, is what friends and family expect from the players with regard to finances. And working through some of those issues, uh, that's a tough one uh, because you want to, but just trying to help them identify you want to help them with their basic needs. Well, basic needs are not typically what family and friends are asking you for. Uh, they're asking you for a lot more than that, and it's okay to say no uh, to those things. Uh, I'm curious. I, I took my son and his basketball team to watch the, the Kings play, and Vince Carter, who's 40 years old, he's a veteran, is playing on a team that's probably not even going to make the playoffs or lucky to get a seventh or eighth spot. I started thinking, why would a guy in that at 40 years old play for a team? Either he loves the game or he just can't hang it up. You must see players over two different decades or three decades of their lives at very different stages. Do you try to minister to them uniquely where they're at? What's kind of your thinking on the different stage in their career and life and how you minister to them? Yeah, I think taking all of that into account, both their age, their season of life. Uh, in fact, a lot of times season of life, I think, is more critical than age because guys will get married late, you know, single guys in their late thirties 
uh, baseball has been their life. Uh, that transition into getting married, becoming a family man, those kinds of things. So I, th- I think knowing that their season of life and talking to them about those things is important. Uh, the other thing is I see different types of personalities in baseball. So I don't know Vince Carter. I don't know why he's still playing basketball, but there are people in baseball who hang on because they just love the game. There's people who hang on because even if they're a million dollar veteran, you know, the kind of the low end of the veteran status, they can't do anything else and make a million dollars. And so they're trying to maximize that earning potential during those particular years of life. Um, and then there's other guys who want to immediately go into coaching. Like, I love the game so much that mm-hmm. they're those last few years of playing, they're preparing to be a coach in the league. Brandon, how can our listeners pray for you in this strategic role as Dodgers chaplain? I think Wisdom and grace are always two things that uh, I can use more of, just the wisdom to know when to speak up, when to be quiet, how to speak into certain people's lives. Um, Every day when I pull into the parking lot, uh, before I walk downstairs, I kind of have that prayer that God would uh, have a kind of a divine appointment that day, that there would be somebody who needs to hear from me or I need to hear from them. And um, so just open doors for the gospel and wisdom and grace on how to handle those. And I think... Uh, especially for our listeners who might be in your classes or uh, know, know you personally, I suspect the message you want to get across to them is, no, you can't get them tickets. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Can't, you yeah. can't get them yeah. access to the field. Yeah, Chaplin's uh, pretty low on the status <laughs> poll out there at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> well, Brandon, thank you so much for being with us, uh, taking this time to talk about a really strategic opportunity to serve these players and to minister the gospel uh, and that you know, sort of providentially been brought into this role. Uh, we'll, I, I trust our listeners will conti- will pray for you. Continue to that God will continue to grant you wisdom uh, and insight into how you minister to uh, a pretty complex arena of service. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, Scott. And, and we'll and we'll hope that the Dodgers keep winning too. Yes, and thank you, Sean. Well, this has been an episode of the, the podcast Think Biblically conversations on faith and culture. To learn more about us and to find more episodes, go to www.biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That is biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation and with our guest, Brandon Cash, uh, give us a rating on your podcast app, share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.